Welcome to Outside the Walls. I'm Mark. And I'm Casey. Thanks for joining us this morning or afternoon. I guess you can join us anytime you want. That's right. The beauty of the podcast platform. Listen to it at your own convenience. So we hope that you've been enjoying our episodes so far. Uh, We are trudging right along in our series here. So uh, if you're new to this podcast, we are going through the series on the Sermon on the Mount, one sermon that changed the world. So the Westside Church in Searcy, we're doing a sermon series. Our preacher, Nathan Guy, is going through this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this particular, I guess, set of episodes on Outside the Walls is dedicated to deep reflection on those sermons and uh, hashing those out. And so uh, we're, I guess, third week into it at this yeah. point. Rain or shine Rain is the name of the sermon. Or shine. That's right. R-E-I-G-N. Yeah. Little little play on the word there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, very good. If you weren't able to watch the sermon, uh, we have that available on our YouTube channel and also uh, our Facebook page, um, and also uh, you can go to NathanGuy.com. That could serve as somewhat of a landing page where you can watch the sermon specifically. Uh, you can also download several resources that are made available, including a study book, Living the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can also access uh, Nathan's podcast, which he uh, takes the audio of his sermon. So if you just want to listen to it without having to go to YouTube or Facebook, you can listen to Life on the West Side podcast there, and also there's just additional resource links that you can uh, either listen to songs that he recommends. There's one song this week that is recommended, Salt and Light. Yes, by, by Lauren Daigle. Daigle. Yeah, so that's a very good song. So you can go and look that up, listen to that to help uh, deepen your reflection on uh, Salt and Light this week as we talk about this sermon. So uh, many resources there to to download, and we can put the the links to those in the show notes as well. And so you can go back and, and look at that. So I actually had to take advantage of that this week oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I was sick on Sunday. Um, I did watch the stream, but I also went back and listened to it a couple times afterwards. So that's convenient. Yeah. And I think it's convenient for anyone, even if you were in the services Sunday morning, right. it's nice to go back and hear some things. You'll pick something up that you don't usually get the right. first time you hear it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So hopefully those resources are a help to you, and uh, and so we'll we'll continue posting those in our show notes. But for this week, our objective is this: to acknowledge that since Jesus reigns, Christians are salt and light, whether we want to be or not. We stand out. We reflect Jesus either well or poorly, and we are called to affect our world for good at all times. Very good. So as we go through the podcast, that's going to be our objective. So again, if you're new to this uh, podcast, what we like to do is we like to go through and uh, give some uh, key takeaways that uh, Mark and I got from the sermon, and hopefully that'll stir your thinking on some of the takeaways that you had after listening or watching or being present during the sermon. And then we'll have some Q&As that we want to try and answer and also uh, help you to reflect on. And then we'll leave you with a few challenges for the week. So So a lot of the things I like to write down are 
things that I had never really thought about too much before. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things, and one of the main points that Nathan brought out this week was that Jesus says we already are salt mm-hmm. and light. He's not asking us to be salt and light. He's not saying our goal is to be salt and light. Well, actually, you know what? Before we do this, let's read. <laughs> oh, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. Good let's, call. Let's read. Uh, <laughs> it, we're talking about specifically in Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus starts doing what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this week's sermon was focused on Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16. And before you read that, I think it's interesting to point out the immediate prior context to this is Jesus saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. And yes. so uh, it's a very interesting transition from blessed are those who are persecuted to this section. So Matthew five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. All right, very nice. I'm just going to have to say, any authorized version would say, put it under a basket. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to go along with the song. The song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bowl. No, that's or that's good. That's a, good. Uh, <laughs> is that what yours says? A basket? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. A bowl would actually hide the light a lot better than a basket. Because yeah. a basket, you know, if it's woven, <laughs> you know, it's gonna allow beams of light to come through. If it's a bowl, it's gonna be completely covered and hidden. So that's good. I'm good. I like that translation. So actually, can I admit something now? (laughs) When I was a kid growing up singing that song, I never was sure if the words were hide it under a bushel. No. Or hide it under a bush. Oh no. And so Two very different things, yeah. They are, but they sound very much alike when people <laughs> sing it. And I thought, why would you hide it under a bush? It's gonna catch on fire. <laughs> but the bushel makes more sense. It's a basket. Yeah. So yeah. I've I've kept that to myself thirty until, something until years. now. Until now. Uh, well, uh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> You've grown up. <laughs> You're now eating from the meat of the word. <laughs> That's right. And now I know that it was bushel. That's right. <laughs> so that being said, um, Jesus tells us we already are salt and light. And I like the example given in one of the books. Um, it's similar to when a um, somebody officiating a wedding Mm-hmm. Uh, marries a couple and he pronounces them husband and wife. And yeah. Nathan kind of referenced mm-hmm. this. Um, he had the, is it Arbor? Yeah. yeah. Behind On stage. Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, to try to give that idea of a wedding ceremony. Yeah. But, Somebody said, who's getting married? And I said, you'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the person officiating the wedding pronounces them husband and wife. So they are husband and wife. But then they also spend the rest of their lives trying to become the best husband and wife mm. that they can. Yeah. So Jesus is already pronouncing us salt and light. Yeah. 
And so now we have to spend the rest of our lives being the best salt and the best light that we can. Yeah. Thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting, you know, as we talked about, he doesn't suggest that we be salt and light or say you ought to be salt and light. You know, you think about that in the context of a wedding, it would not make sense for the preacher to be like, and now you ought to be husband and wife. (laughs) (laughs) Rather the pronouncement. Yeah. So that was a good illustration. Yes. Um, I also like the reference and I've never put it together. And I don't know why I've never put it together, but the reference between Matthew 5, 16 and first Peter 2, 11 and 12. Um, and I actually looked at my Bible and the cross references, they don't point to each other. Interesting. Which I found very surprising. Hmm. So I will read these. Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Mm. And I think clearly Peter here knew about the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. he was there. Yeah. Sure he was there. Yeah. And he was referencing that when he was writing this down. Um, I just find that very interesting. And I think Nathan also pointed out in his sermon that at the end of Peter, it says, that uh, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Mm. We tend to think of being a salt and light to the world that people will glorify God immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely not necessarily the case. But Peter kind of clarifies this more maybe and says, when Christ returns, mm. that's when everyone will know that we were the salt and light for him. Yeah, which is a very important thing to remember because especially in our culture where we want kind of that immediate, uh, I guess, gratification or immediate fulfillment of something and um, just knowing that, you know, (laughs) this glory might not be realized, uh, people might not glorify God because of these things until the end of time helps us to put in perspective uh, you know, your good works, your good deeds, there there might not be a payoff while you're alive. Yep. <laughs> yep. So don't grow weary. Don't grow tired. Yeah. Continue to do it. Yeah. And it'll eventually pay off. Mm. Uh, another thing, I, I kind of went on a tangent when I was listening to Nathan because he didn't really go into this too much, um, but he mentioned it and it kind of made me think more about it, was that... Um, it says that we are a city set on a hill Mm -hmm. and people at that time probably had the idea that he was talking about Jerusalem because Jerusalem is referenced as Mm -hmm. a city on a hill throughout scripture. And so people probably would have thought about that. And then it kind of made me start thinking about how we're, we are that city on the hill. Mm -hmm. Um, People looked at Jerusalem as the city where God dwelled the temple was in Jerusalem mm-hmm. and that's where God was dwelling. And so Jesus is pronouncing us that city on the hill mm-hmm. that God is dwelling in us now. Mm-hmm. A shift in the presence of God. Yes. Yeah. So we're that city. We're, mm-hmm. we're that place that people flock to, mm-hmm. to find God. 
Yeah. And so it's important for us to show that to everyone around us. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then, oh, did you? Have oh, that? I was just, I was, that's a very interesting insight. And I hadn't really thought of it in connection with, uh, like you, like you laid it out there, but, you know, shift in the presence of God from the Old Testament, you know, we see him walking in the garden and then you get to the law of Moses and kind of the presence of God is in the holy of holy places. Uh, then we get to the time of Jesus and he's walking, you know, God is in the flesh walking amongst us. And then the transition of the presence of God is, uh, you know, in us, the church, uh, we are that city on a hill. So very good observation. Yeah, I like that. Um, I also noticed the Isaiah 42 comparison, which was really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of parallel each other and, I'll just mention in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4, there's a focus on bringing justice, on being gentle, and on standing firm, Mm. which Jesus definitely focuses on in his Sermon on the Mount. And then in verses 6 through 8, it also mentions the light of the world. So Jesus is kind of referring back to Isaiah's prophecy in Mm. chapter 42 of that book. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. I read in, I wish I knew which book it was, but one of these three books that uh, Nathan suggested we go through, um, that light is mentioned in Genesis chapter one, verse three, the very first chapter of the Bible, and also Revelation 22, five, mm. which is the very last mm. chapter of the Bible. Yeah. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. And then separately on my own, just kind of, I guess meditating on some of these things myself, it crossed my mind, what if this world just suddenly had no salt and had no light? Mm. What would the world be like? Hmm. Like literal? Yeah. Yeah, literal. Well, there would be a very stout stench as all the fish in the ocean would die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It would become very stinky. (laughs) Yeah. And I just found that intriguing. You know, we'd walk around blindly bumping into things and mm-hmm. smelling stinky fish, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so if we're that salt and we're that light, if we're not here, there's a lot of problems. So mm-hmm. we need yeah. to be that salt and that yeah. light because it's very important for, yeah. for the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. Serves as a preservative. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that uh, first and last chapter of the Bible. That, that's good. That theme of light is I, a lot more prevalent throughout Scripture than salt. Um, I think it's the Gallagher book on the Sermon on the Mount that he mentions that uh, you know salt is is he gives the number of times that it's mentioned in the Bible, but uh, you know it's significantly less than what light is. And so um, it's interesting that Jesus uses these two elements uh, to kind of parallel, I guess, the the influence that his disciples should have in the world. Um, So one of the, one of my key takeaways uh, was this quote from Nathan. He said, salt and light is less about what you do and more about who you are. And we've kind of referenced this uh, in, in a previous podcast about the Sermon on the Mount at large is not, you know, a set of checklists that um, that we need to go through and say, okay, have I have I been salt today? Have I been light? Check, 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 check. It's it's more of a lifestyle. It's more of a way of life, way of living, uh, which I thought was uh, was meaningful. Uh, something else that he said was, <laughs> I thought this was a very uh, vivid um, illustration that he used uh, talking about the preservative nature of salt. 
He said, try putting a salt shaker next meat and wait a week to see what happens. Uh, in other words, you know, we have to, as, as salt of the earth, you know, we have to actually uh, be on the meat, uh, be in the meat, uh, to penetrate it and to, you know, be able to make a difference. If we're just sitting off to the side, uh, you know, our, our purpose is useless. And so... Uh, the meat is just going to grow stank and, you know, rot. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to you know, what would the world be like without salt? You know, it would be really stinky. And that that uh, illustration uh, holds true to that parallel as well. Uh, I brought with me, uh, of course, since this is a podcast, you can't really see it, but a glow stick. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I loved, uh, which I think was meaningful, particularly to our younger audience yeah. in the sermon, was uh, we ha- we had uh, some glow sticks handed out. Nathan brought a huge bushel, if you will, of glow sticks <laughs> <laughs> and handed them out to all the kids uh, before the sermon. And uh, even though he said we were going to snap and what? can't remember what the phrase is. Snap. Shake. Snap and shake. Yeah. Uh, many of them were snapped and shaken before Beforehand. the end. <laughs> they were glowing long before the end of the sermon. But uh, at the end of the sermon, uh, you know, we had all the lights turned off and all the kids uh, snapped and shook their glow sticks and held them up and um, and Dennis let us in uh, this little light of mine. And so uh, that was that was really neat. And, um, and it was somewhat of a jolting call you know as we we think about that song and uh you know it's a really catchy tune and yet the jolting call that um that nathan mentioned was letting lights shine is the role of a persecuted people and that it's a lot harder to let your light shine whenever you're persecuted Mm -hmm. than whenever things are going well and uh and so that's why before you read the section of the Sermon on the Mount, I thought it was uh, appropriate to point out the immediate prior context, which is Jesus talking about persecution. But that's the call. And uh, whenever we think about letting our light shine, uh, that's in good times or in bad times. And so uh, that was that was a meaningful uh, thing that that I saw during the sermon. Uh, something that one of the books is uh, Dietrich. Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, he was reflecting on salt and light, and he said that we don't have the light, and this is something that Nathan referenced in his sermon. Jesus said we are the light and cannot be hidden even if we want to, and this kind of goes back to the objective that we laid out at the beginning of the podcast, that uh, it's not a suggestion, it's not something that we have, it's not something that we obtain, it's something that we are, and that Whenever Jesus in the Gospel of John, um, I think it's in chapter 9, you know, one of the I am statements that Jesus has to describe himself, which also connects himself to being God, that he does, uh, that he is deity. He says, I am the light of the world. And so we look at Jesus as having that characteristic of light. He is light. And then he tells his disciples he tells us that we are light. We don't have the light, mm-hmm. but we are the light. And so that is a powerful um, that is a powerful parallel that Jesus calls himself the light, and he also says that we are the light. Uh, and so I thought that was that was pretty impactful. That's a mission for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then, uh, and and this is a, a direct quote from Bonhoeffer. He says, "A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow Him," and that is a that is a very uh, cutting uh, criticism of uh, Christians, of community of Christians that don't want to be seen in the world. And you know, thinking about his life and how he was persecuted and how he was ultimately killed because of his his faith uh, just speaks loudly to the conviction that he had as a believer and the conviction that we should share. And I don't know if it was meant to be a criticism of like communities of faith that kind of went into hiding during, you know, Roman persecution Mm -hmm. or not. I don't know if that was his intent. Uh, I didn't pick that up from the chapter, but it, it says something to, you know, you know, whenever there's persecution that arises, it's Christians' job and expectations to still step up and be lights and not hide the light under a basket yeah. or a bushel. So, um, and I, we've mentioned before in our uh, one of our classes at Westside is a dive deeper class, and uh, the last couple of weeks I haven't been able to be up there. I was sick and then out of town the last couple of weeks, so I. This week was actually the first time that I've had the opportunity to go up there since the since the uh, one sermon that changed the world series even started. And Jim Shelton was teaching it, and uh, and he asked this question, which I thought was was very reflective: Are Christians separate enough from the world to make any difference? And uh, that was one of I think one of the Q and A's that we were uh, wanting to kind of hash out. But are Christians separate enough from the world to make any difference? And uh, thought that was a thought-provoking question. It is very thought-provoking. <laughs> and I, I've seen that question asked in different ways, but it's all basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Are are we different enough? Are, are we supposed to be different enough? Are we supposed to be similar? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I guess the answer is yes. All <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So, yes, that is a very good question. Yeah, because, I mean, we read in the scriptures that we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. Um, you know, we have to be amongst sinners. I mean, Jesus was highly criticized because he was amongst sinners. And mm-hmm. a lot of times the Pharisees were considering him guilty by association. And um, and so that's that's kind of the line we have to walk as Christians of being in the world and, and maybe even there might even be some Christians that look at us and say, you look too much like the world. But ironically, that's exactly what the Pharisees said of Jesus. Yeah. I think Luke 14, I think that he mentions it and he calls him out saying, yeah, "Yeah, that you say I'm doing all these things, but it's the the same idea. Yeah. And like you referenced earlier, that putting the salt next to the meat Mm -hmm. isn't going to do anything. The salt has to be on the meat in the meat to do something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then one final quote from uh, Randy Harris's book, uh, I guess it's become kind of a, a slang term uh, and it might be out of style. I don't keep up with, you know, what's the most slang, but, you know, don't be salty, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of the criticism of somebody that is getting upset about something, you know, simple and, you know, don't be salty. Harris says, be salty give light. And, uh, that's, that's kind of the, the call and the challenge of Jesus is to, to be salty, be light. And so 
that's our takeaways. Yep. So hopefully uh, you can write down some of your own as you reflect on uh, as you reflect on uh, the sermon this week. And and uh, so we'll move into the Q and A uh, and kind of hash out some of what we think would uh, be interesting answers to these questions. And hopefully you can think about these as well and write some of these down and you can reflect on them as as you go throughout the rest of your week. Yep. Um, all right. So I'll ask you the first question, Casey. All right. Which of the following statements seem more pressing or concerning? One, there is not enough church in the world, which the world acts ungodly. Or two, there is too much world in the church, mm. that the church is indistinguishable. Mm. Yeah. So I would say that the more pressing of the two would be the first option, which is there is not enough church in the world. And I say that because I think that the church is going to exist despite us. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that the body of Christ is going to survive. It's going to um, it's going to be here long after any of us are still here. Um, and so I don't think that's as pressing that there's too much world in the church because I think the church is going to be the church um, regardless of our efforts. However, uh, there's not enough church in the world. And I think that Jesus' final commission speaks to this necessity, speaks to this pressing matter. You know, the the final challenge for the disciples is to go out into the world and make disciples uh, because there's there's not enough of the light in the world. And so that's, that's your challenge. Mm. And it is pressing and it is urgent to go out and make more disciples. I think that's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask you the the second one. All right, are Christians separate enough from the world to make any difference? So this is the same question that Jim Shelton asked mm-hmm. in the uh, Diving Deeper class. Are Christians separate enough from the world to make any difference? I guess it depends on what we are considering Christian. Mm. Okay. It's kind of like the previous question, is there too much world in the church? Mm. I think you have to put church in quotation marks, scare quotes, <laughs> because it really depends on if it's the real church or what the world considers mm-hmm. the church or what the world considers Christian. Yeah. Um, and I think if we really get down to it, that I don't want to say actual Christians, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> dedicated people enough to Jesus, um, yes, are separate enough. And yes, they are making a difference. Are salty enough. Are salty enough and are (laughs) bright enough. And if we're concerned that maybe we're not, then we probably need to reevaluate our Christian walk and make some changes, Mm -hmm. which I need to. And I think everybody could. Um, So we always have to keep an eye out for how we are acting and that we do need to be more separate to make that difference. Yeah. yeah. Too often we try to fit in and we really shouldn't. Right. It reminds me of being in middle school and high school. You want to be an individual by acting like everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you said, uh, not actual Christians might be too harsh, but I mean, Jesus used similar language here in this section. I mean, he says, if salt has lost its taste, 
how shall its saltiness be restored is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so Jesus even said, you know, if if you're not salty, if uh, if you're not exhibiting this characteristic, if you are not salt, then you're good for nothing. Mm. And that's pretty harsh. Yeah. Uh, something that, uh, you know, you and I both would be hesitant to say, but man, Jesus just lays it out there <laughs> <laughs> like it is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll let him do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question for you, Casey. All right. Is lack of persecution a sign that we aren't doing it right? Hmm. I wouldn't say that it's a sign of that we're not doing it right. I think that, you know, looking at church history and just kind of the ebb and flow of persecution, um, I don't know that it's always you know, a, a sign that you're doing it wrong. I mean, even in the, in the ministry of Jesus, whenever, you know, I guess more particularly at the beginning of it, um, there wasn't any persecution, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't come until later. And so, uh, you can make the argument that there's, you know, that there's times in ministry, there's times in, uh, in, in the life of the church that there are going to be, um, just, I guess, times of no persecution and, uh, I think we should be thankful for those times, and I'm always. It always kind of makes me cringe whenever I hear the prayer that we're we're thankful that uh, we're able to meet in this place without fear of persecution. Uh, when Jesus specifically says, "Blessed are those who are persecuted," <laughs> you know, <laughs> he makes it sound as if we should be happy when there is persecution, mm-hmm. um, because I think that that is a sign if if there's people that are out there speaking against us. And persecution, I think, also doesn't have to come in the in the form that maybe we initially think of physical persecution. And I think Peter alludes a lot to maybe verbal persecution that goes on. There's people that are going to speak out against the church. There's going to be times maybe in our careers that we're persecuted because of our faith. And that might look like not getting a job promotion. You might still have a job, but you're being persecuted because of your faith. Uh, you're not able to climb the ladder, the corporate ladder because of your faith. And so um, there's a sense of persecution going on because of your faith. And so uh, I think we have to qualify and define what exactly persecution is. Um, and and so I guess the flip side to answer that, yeah, if you're not experiencing any persecution, if there's no one that ever says anything negative about you because you're a Christian, if you never have you know any problems at work because of your faith, if, if you never have any level of pushback because of your faith in God, then yeah, maybe you're not doing it right. Mm. I I know that it's pretty clear throughout history that um, Christians being persecuted has actually benefited the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel seems yeah. to spread a whole lot more when there is a lot of persecution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think that um, we see in our world, in the West Western culture in the United States specifically, um, we see things that we might call persecution, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's persecution against um, actual Christian values. I think people are focusing on small things and pointing things out, or there are people that are calling themselves Christian and are doing things that probably really aren't Christian ways of doing things. And they're getting called out and quote 
persecuted. All right. And I would not consider that true Christian persecution. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Jesus says, uh, blessed are you uh, when, when people do all these things, speak against you falsely on my account. And I can't remember specifically where it is in Peter, but, you know, he talks about persecution for doing good things, for being a, for being a good person, for being a, a disciple. And so, yeah, you also got a question, why am I being persecuted? If it's for things other than your faith, then yeah, mm-hmm. certainly a, a need to uh, have a, have a gut check. All right. All right. So this one's for you, Mark. What does it really mean to be salt and light in the world? Okay. That's, that's a deep one. <laughs> um, that, that's been a question I've had since probably I first heard that scripture. What does it actually mean to mm. be salt and light? Um, salt is very important. And <laughs> light is very important. <laughs> I don't know a really good way to say it. Um, they're both very necessary things for our world. And they also make our world more interesting uh, salt as a flavoring yeah. for food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I won't, s- well, okay. Last night I had green beans. There was not enough salt in them. Mm-hmm. They weren't very good. I kind of had to choke it down, <laughs> but so you it, resisted putting more salt on it. <laughs> yeah. I guess I could have put more salt on it, but I was trying to be healthier, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but when you add salt to the green beans, suddenly they're they're good people want to consume those green mm. beans more and right. i think it's the same way is when we are um showing our christian values and being that salt in the world it interests people it gets them excited right. and they want to know more mm-hmm. and so i think that's part of it um the light idea is very similar we if we're out in the desert in the middle of the night um, and we see a light off in the distance, we're probably going to start walking towards that right. light. Yeah. And I think it's the same idea is that um, we need to be that beacon for people mm-hmm. to come to. Yeah. Yeah. Something that makes a difference uh, because like you compared food and, and salt, you know, it changes, it changes what it's applied to. Light changes what it's applied to. Mm. If it's you know, in dark, it's going to change that darkness. If it's bland food, salt is going to change that bland food. And so, yeah, I, I like that. Um, you know, being salt and being light is is changing your surroundings and the people that are around you. So very good. All right. Question for you. How does Jesus define light in Matthew 5.16? And how do we apply this? All right. Let's read Matthew 5.16 again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I think it's important to point out, first of all, that uh, you know he he's giving us ownership of light. Um, you know he says in verse fourteen, "You are the light of the world." And so uh, light is, I think, defining it as this is your light. I am the light, and you are the light. And so your light, let it shine. And so we have a sense of ownership in this light. And then it's interesting that he connects light um, with those that are around us. It affects those around us and also connects it to good works, that they may see your good works. And so um, I don't know that I would say that light in and of itself is good works, 
but rather whenever we're letting our light shine, people can see the good works. Um, and that points to God. Uh, I can't remember which, uh, which author it was, but, um, it said, he said that being the light of the world is not about the world being able to see the disciples, but rather it's about the world seeing God and seeing our good works, seeing God through our good works. Mm -hmm. And so as Christians, um, being the light and how Jesus defines the light is not so that people can see us so that we can receive glory for the things that we're doing, but rather the light is Jesus. We are the light and the light is so that others can see God. And so, um, that's how I think Jesus defines light and how I would apply this is (laughs) trying to maybe do things and not do them in such a way like random acts of kindness, anonymous random acts of kindness, uh, doing something for somebody without being asked and without telling them that you did it. <laughs> um, you know, whether that's, you know, setting a envelope of cash, you know, under somebody, you know, slipping in under somebody's door or, um, you know, paying somebody's electric bill or uh, going and mowing somebody's yard when they're out of town or sick and uh, they never know that you did it. You know, uh, I would say that, you know, that's, that's how we can apply being the light and, and somebody can, can see that good act. And if they don't know who did it, then what are they going to do? They're going to thank God for this blessing Mm -hmm. and it points to God. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would say you can apply it. If you haven't listened to Sunday's sermon yet, I recommend you do. Um, Nathan gives us a story about an orphanage. Ah, yeah. The lady that ran the orphanage, yeah. she came out her front door one day and there was an envelope and she opened it up and it was a uh, boardwalk and park place yeah. for the McDonald's <laughs> million dollar contest. Yeah. Monopoly contest. Yeah, yeah. Monopoly contest. Thank mm-hmm. you. And, um, it, there wasn't any name on it. They had no idea who did it, but somebody thought it was more important for that orphanage to yeah. win that million dollars <laughs> than themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a neat story. But the only thing you can do, like you said, is give God the glory. That's right. That's right. All right. So uh, last one before we transition. The disciples must not only think of heaven, they have an earthly task as well. What is that? Oh, all right. So. It's very similar to your answer for your previous question. Um, We are created in the image of God. Um, We're told that in Genesis. And it is our job to reflect God to the world. So our goal shouldn't only be heaven, but as the Bible calls us, we are all priests for God. And so our responsibility is to um, share God's glory with the world. Mm -hmm. And I always think of us as mirrors, just reflecting uh, God's light, Mm -hmm. actually, to the people around us. So I think when we have our minds solely focused on um, heaven, Mm -hmm. that's a little selfish. Because our job really is to get other people to think about that as well. And so if we're reflecting God's light to the world, I I should say that differently. Our job is to reflect God's light to the world while we're here. Yeah. Yeah. 
and maybe a, a way to help us think about you know this this earthly task is how not necessarily looking forward to heaven, but rather how can I make this place heaven? Yes. How can I make heaven real right now and to this person who is in need? How can I bring heaven to them? And for me personally, I don't know if it's like this for everyone. I find that more exciting mm-hmm. to be able to make that my mission, yeah. make that my goal is like, let, let's do this for the people that are struggling around yeah. me. Yeah. Let, let's show them what heaven is like. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, before we get to a few challenges, let, let's ask this reflective question for you to be thinking about. Do you believe you are making a difference in the world and why or why not? So we want to challenge you to be thinking about that question and think about, are you making a difference? If not, why not? Uh, if so, maybe how can you enhance that difference? So what we, what, how about we break out some challenges for the week? All right. Here's challenge number one. These are very specific. These are very literal challenges, <laughs> not just reflection That's things. Right. So do this this week. Serve a meal to someone mm. this week. And if you're a terrible cook like me, maybe uh, provide somebody with a meal. <laughs> you could add salt to somebody's meal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could go get some, you know, get a meal from you know a restaurant or uh, a grocery store and, and deliver it. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody you know that could use a meal either. A mother struggling with a job and three kids or somebody who has, you know, dealt with a difficult time recently, um, provide them with a meal and and make sure that they know that it's for God's glory. Yeah. 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 Sometimes people might be reluctant to uh, accept, you know, a a gift or or cash or, uh, and if you're not a, again, a cook like me. Uh, just going to maybe what you think is their favorite restaurant or maybe your favorite restaurant and get them a gift card and say, Hey, I love eating here. And, uh, I want to, I want to share that joy with you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you're, if you're not able to take them out at the time, maybe give them a gift card. So provide a meal. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right. Here's number two at every meal or celebration this week, take the lowest position, take the place a servant of a servant in every situation you're in this week. And so, um, you know, that, that may even could look like, uh, cleaning up, taking out the trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know that, you know, places at a table are, you know, given as much, I guess, distinction as maybe they were in the first century. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, so, if you see somebody's glass that's empty, like, Hey, can I get you a refill? You know? And so put like your, that. put yourself in the place of a servant and do it for your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that hard. That's yeah. hard too. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Challenge number three. If you are not used to wearing a cross, wear one this week that is clearly visible so that everything you do becomes a visible sign of Jesus and your actions reflect on the cross. Mm. I'm not used to wearing a cross. Okay. Um I like the I like the idea though. I think it was one of the speakers in our summer series, mentioned uh, an artifact. I think mm-hmm. it was Jonathan Sorman. It was. Uh, he had a coin, uh, a first century coin, that I think he had, wears around his necklace, or wears on a necklace. Mm-hmm. And um, and just, it's a it's a physical reminder, which I know that I'm in strong need of physical reminders and things <laughs> like that. And, uh, you know, that's exactly like, you know, what wearing a cross on a necklace is, is not necessarily to show off like, Hey, I'm a Christian, you know, wearing this cross, you know, kind of thing. But whenever you feel it, you know, 
mm-hmm. banging against your chest as you're walking around, you know, uh, you know, just kind of a reminder of who you are. Yep. I actually sometimes wear one. I have one on today, um, but I don't wear it outside. Like mm-hmm. my, my shirt, I wear it underneath, but it's yeah. for me a reminder just yeah. like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Almost like the uh, old tie a uh, shoestring around your finger, you know, yeah. remind you of something like it's a physical reminder. So I like that. Yep. All right. And then the last one is uh, from, from Gallagher's book, The Sermon on the Mount. The world ought to notice our presence. And this is a kind of a reflective question. Would they notice our absence? Mm. And so uh, that's a challenge for you to think about, that the world is supposed to notice our presence, but would they notice our absence? That's, that's also kind of a thought that uh, came from uh, Tom Rainer's book, The Post-Quarantine Church, mm-hmm. that he wrote uh, coming out of COVID. And uh, it was just kind of the idea of if your church did not exist, or if you as a disciple of Jesus were to die, would the world not necessarily your close family, your close relatives, your friends. Obviously, they would notice, but would the world notice a difference in your absence? So, hmm. challenging question for you to think about. Yes. All right. All right. Um, I'll mention real quick some of the things, um, our references that we have um, before we finish. One of them is the Living the Sermon on the Mount the diving deeper class notes, which mm-hmm. you can find on Nathan Guy's website. Yeah. Um, it's a whole little PDF booklet. And like Casey, you and I have, we've had it printed out so mm-hmm. we can look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's three books that he takes a lot of information from. One is by Randy Harris, Living Jesus, Doing What Jesus Says in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the next book is by Ed Gallagher, The Sermon on the Mount, Explorations in Christian Practice. And the third book is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. Yeah, so I think we mentioned all of those yep. uh, different points in this podcast. And so we can include those in the show notes as well so that you can go back. But uh, if you go and download that PDF, The Living, The Sermon on the Mount, uh, it references all those with, with links in there. And so um, that would be a, a free resource that you can download for sure and, uh, and get uh, get a lot of the notes and then also the references and also uh, some of the video links and articles that we've referenced uh, are in that study PDF as well. So, And then coming up this next Sunday, Nathan's next sermon in this whole series, uh, next week's sermon is called Calling All Neurotics, Life, Love, and the Law. Very intriguing title. So yes. Look forward to it. So we hope you can join us in person at uh, Westside Church of Christ, or uh, if you're out of town or sick or unable to be there, we'll be streaming it live on Facebook and our YouTube channel, and then uh, we'll have the the videos posted uh, at you know after Sunday as usual, so you can listen to the audio or watch those later. So we'll we hope to see you. Hope to have you with us uh, for this coming up Sunday as we continue this series, One Sermon That Changed the World. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcast at wschurch.net. Thanks for joining us. Again, I'm Mark signing off. And I'm Casey. You guys have a great week. We love you. Love you.